Oh, good Lord. You're listening to a podcast of spurious morality. And welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. Uh, this is the Not Who Week. We're talking about Big Finish still, but none of it's Doctor Who. Uh, so a nice little change. I'm Johnston, and with me I have Connor. Hello. And I have Tom. Hello. And it's Tom's first time joining us, so uh, welcome to the uh, the spurious morality podcast that is. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Before we carry on, uh, I will just issue a spoiler warning. Uh, We're going to be talking about Dorian Gray, we're going to be talking about Sherlock Holmes, and we're going to be talking about quite a few of the Big Finish classics. Um, So I've been looking forward to doing this one. Like As soon as we started planning this, I always wanted it to be not just Doctor Who. Uh, I think Doctor Who's obviously kind of the biggest thing Big Finish have. It's the bread and butter. But there's loads of great stuff sort of on the periphery of that as well. Some of it's even kind of just about linked into Doctor Who a little bit, but we'll mention that a bit more after. Uh, so straight in with the question. So, Connor, you first. What's your favourite non-Doctor Who range at Big Finish? You might as well ask me to pick a favourite child. Um, I, I usually do love... Uh, the classics. That's that was that's my go-to answer for this. I love the classics, just because they're so they're you can jump into them really easily, and it's just a nice two or three hour slice of something good. Yeah, agreed. And um, I think a lot of the classics have sort of the labors of love, aren't they? They are they're adapted by people that have grown up loving these stories and have been inspired by them. So yeah, you're right. There's something particularly special about that range. Uh, what about you, Tom? I have a much easier time answering that question, Connor. Um, I'm a big fan of Confessions of Dorian Gray. It's one of the most um, experimental and innovative uh, ranges Big Finish are putting out, and I absolutely love it. Uh, another incredibly good... Oh, God, you've both given really good answers. <laughs> um, and thankfully, we are due to talk about both the classics and Dorian Gray on this episode uh, I agree with you Dorian Gray very experimental and thoroughly entertaining throughout all the way through um, I think that there's again I'll come to this later there's one episode of Dorian Gray that could potentially be the best thing Big Finish have ever done in fact there's a few episodes of Dorian Gray that could potentially be the best thing Big Finish has ever done it'll be interesting to know if we're thinking about the same ones Yes, I think... but we shall find out. <laughs> I love it. We we already the audience is on tenterhooks. What are the best <laughs> Dorian episodes? Well, listeners, stay with us. You will find out. Um, but first of all, we are going to talk about Big Finish classics. Uh, as we've already established, it's Connor's favourite, and it's up there for me as well. I've uh, I've heard quite a lot in the classics range, and it's always sort of surprised me with the quality. It's, there's something almost prestigious about the way Big Finish produced this classics range and because they've got an awful lot of stuff to pick from, um, everything seems to be fresh and interesting. Um, so, sort of, yeah, talk to us about classics, Connor. Name some of your favourites. 
Um, well, I'm actually just sitting here with the app open in front of me and reading through, and I, ha I haven't actually heard as many as I thought I had. But I, I think that sort of is, is a testament to how, how good the ones that I have heard are and how, how good they stand up, even among the waterfall of output that is Doctor Who and Doctor Who Universe spin-offs. So yeah. just looking here, one of my absolute favourites is actually Treasure Island. Yes. Um, which I think was directed by Barnaby Edwards. And you can tell that it was such a labour of love for him, that it was a real passion project, because it shines through so strongly in the finished product. As you said, it feels like a prestige sort of drama adaptation, but it's it's just so fun, so adventurous, so light and breezy. It's it, I listen to it, I think, every summer because it's just perfect listening for that time of year. Uh, yep, yeah, I'd agree with you. It's um, I think it was actually adapted, directed, and produced by Barnaby Edwards. So yeah, right, a real, right. a real passion project, and that love for the original text really does sort of come through. And I think it was done sort of relatively early on when Big Finish had just sort of got Tom Baker, and I love the fact that they got Tom Baker. They did a series of Fourth Doctor audios, and then went. We need to get him to be Long John Silver. Yeah, That's that was inspired, actually inspired. Actually, yeah, that was one of the notes down that Tom Baker. Uh, or sorry, one of the notes I had down was Tom Baker born to play Long John Silver. Yeah, um, it's it's a very very big role, and when you think about people that have played Long John Silver, uh, I'm thinking Tim Curry in Muppet Treasure <laughs> Island, a favourite of mine as I was growing <laughs> up. I absolutely loved that film, and I loved Tim Curry's uh, portrayal. And I did sort of wonder, is anyone ever going to top that? Tom Baker comes close. It, it's it's a close call. Yeah, I think he does the parrot voice as well, which is, I, I, I love. Yes. He's, yeah, just, he's, um, he, he was a perfect bit of casting for that. And I'm glad that they kind of, like I say, early on, kind of grabbed Tom Baker and went, we're not just going to do Doctor Who with him. You know, Tom Baker's working with us and we get how exciting this is let's do something extra special with it yeah um, and i think uh treasure island was definitely sort of a way of doing that uh any others you would like to mention um the big one last year was the box of delights again another barnaby edwards one um and again it's 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 as i said treasure island's perfect listening for summer the box of delights is obviously perfect listening for christmas Yes, um, absolutely. It's a great big, uh, I think it's five hours long, a five hour long adaptation, um, but it's split over like 10 episodes, so it's like a half hour radio serial. Um, uses the original theme as well, which I don't think it would have been right to do it without, but it's just, it's a really good one. It's not one I'm as familiar with because I've only done it once. I'm, I'm saving it again for, for this Christmas, but it's one I definitely can't wait to go back to. I have to admit that I normally, uh, with Big Finish releases, have a bit of a rule, which is I've just got to listen to it as quickly as possible. Whatever it is, if I've pre-ordered it, I've pre-ordered it because I want to listen to it mm -hmm. as soon as it's released. I broke that rule for Box of Delights because they brought it out in June, and I'm very, very sorry to everybody involved, but I had to wait till December. Yeah, there was no other way to do it. Uh, definitely. Uh, Tom, big Finish classics. Are the sort of have you heard any of you? I'm looking over them again, like sort of refamiliarizing myself with them. And it's like what really stands out is just the really exciting casts. Because I, you've mentioned Tom Baker as Long John Silver, but John Hurt as the Invisible Man playing um, Griffin. I mean, that's the kind of thing that a movie would have loved to have been able to do. Um, and then just by having him for a few hours in the recording booth, Big Finish has been able to like put him in the role. And I think the world's a much better place to have that John Hurt performance, I'll tell you that. I think you could say that for an awful lot of the classics, actually. Gators um, Dracula and Arthur Darville as uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say Gattis is Dracula, Gators is Dracula. Um, absolutely inspired casting so good that they then went on to do Dracula's Guests and Dracula's War which again I, I remember listening to them 
uh, sort of all three box sets on the bounce uh, during uh, one of the COVID lockdowns. And I just sort of took myself out on a walk one day uh, and hadn't realised how far I'd walked because I was just so engrossed in in this adaptation of Dracula. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. And it was, strangely, I have to admit, it was a story that I didn't actually know all that well beforehand. Um, and I've kind of sought out a few other adaptations since then, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, but it was it was a great first way to hear the story, and I think that's the case with a lot of these adaptations. Actually, they're making them very, very accessible. They're doing sort of very good versions of very, very good, mostly well-known stories that are still accessible for people that may not be familiar with them. And they're also allowing themselves to take uh, quite big creative liberties. Um We've uh, the Frankenstein as an example. Um, a lot of in the book has been made of Victor's sexuality and his relationship to uh, the creature and the women in his life. Um, whereas, and he's almost plays kind of asexual with like possibly homosexual with the way he creates the monster and describes him as a ideal man. It's been a while since I've read the book, but. Um, and this is possibly just a side effect of having Arthur Darville uh, playing the role, but the um, big finish, Dr. Frankenstein, is very sexual. He's, I uh, believe, from what I can remember, uh, having affairs and making lots of friends, basically, in that sort of sense of the term. Um, and I think it adds a whole new layer yeah. that hasn't typically been there um, before. Just a really unique way of approaching the story. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. And it's something that um, sort of, well, that point ne leads nicely into uh, the fact that uh, over the last week, both Connor and I have listened to uh, The Shape of Things to Come, uh, which it was your recommendation, wasn't it, Connor? Uh, yeah, if you, if you ask me to pick a favourite uh, release from the Classics range, it would be The Shape of Things to Come, just because it's so... Um, I'm trying to remember why I even went for it, but it, it, it feels even among... I know they did the whole run of H.G. Wells stories, but even among those, it feels like it's at a disadvantage by being one of the lesser-known names, I yeah. think, maybe among the general public. Um, Which is such a shame, because it's so good, and I think it, people have maybe passed it over for the likes of The Invisible Man or... Uh, the War of the Worlds or The Martian Invasion of Earth, as Big Finish called it. Um, and it, it just feels so unique and, again, so fresh among Big Finish's output that it's just, I, I would recommend it to anyone. I agree. And it, I loved how, because uh, obviously it was a book written in the, was it early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, I think, uh, that um, sort of predicted the future in a way, I guess that's where it was going. Um, I love how the Big Finish adaptation sort of sets it in modern day, and modern day being when it was recorded, sort of mid-noughties, or mid-teens, wasn't it? Um, and then... Yes, yes, it was. So we're looking at, was that about 2016, 17 then? Um, yep. uh, it was set from uh, Philip's point of view um, in that modern day he wasn't from 1930 he was from 2016, 17 whenever so the the bit that was sort of presented as immediate future in the original novel was actually presented as past in this adaptation and it added sort of a really interesting slant uh, to approaching the material there yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it builds it up so well as you go through and you do get the background, you get how that version of history diverges in the first place um, and you see the consequences then that follow on from it. And it, it builds it up so well and so methodically that it actually feels tangible and believable um, when it would have been really easy to, 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 to gloss over some of that and create something, you know, to, 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 to take shortcuts and and um, have it not be just as as believable or as as what's the word 
I can't remember, but it's it's they they don't take that. They do spend the time building up that whole first episode just breaks down uh, that version of our civilization, and then they they can spend the second then building up the new alternate one, uh, which was just the perfect way to do it. Yeah, it was. It sort of used that. Uh, I was. It, it was kind of a two-part format that was necessitated by the fact that it was obviously going to receive a CD release. They had to break it down into two halves to get yeah. it across two discs. Not a problem with something like Doctor Who, where you know it's episodic anyway. That's the way Doctor Who's presented. But uh, they really used that sort of two-part format that had been enforced on them very well. The first part being, this is what's happened, and then the second part being, as you say, bigging up the sort of the alternate result of what happened in the first part. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great recommendation. Um. I was only, I was sort of familiar with the basic plot. I was familiar with sort of what the gist of the book was. Um, yeah. But I'd never experienced the full story before. Yeah, no, and it's it's something I came to. I, I had never heard of the book before. I had never read it. I, I, I knew nothing about it. So coming into this was uh, me coming to it for the first time. I think, isn't the book written like a series of articles? Or, or it's like the history has been written out from, I suppose it would be Jane's point of view in this one? Yeah, I think it's kind of written as historical documents from sometime in the future charting what happened in the past um, and it's alarming how much it actually gets roughly right sort of it predicts big war in Europe around 1940 um, and various other sort of things that came to pass as well which I suppose you know it was on the horizon when the book was written but nevertheless it, yeah. it is sort of interesting to see just how much he got right. Including now the War of the Germs. Yes. Which heads absolutely. a wee bit differently now. <laughs> I know. It's um yeah, I did uh, I noticed that when I was kind of looking through. Um but yeah, no, it, honestly, absolutely fantastic recommendation. I agree with you, it would be considered one of those lesser HGLs adaptations but I would encourage absolutely everybody to listen to it. The two hours absolutely flew by. Um, and I will just mention how brilliant Nicola Walker was. I, yeah. I've, I've never seen or heard her do a bad thing. I think she's just been phenomenal in absolutely everything. And I think we're very lucky to have her at Big Finish. I think we're very, very lucky to have her in Doctor Who as a companion. Yeah, I think this this one acts, I think, as a showcase for her talents in a way that Doctor Who maybe hasn't. I I love Liv Chenka the bits, I really do. Um, if you ask me to name my favorite TARDIS crew, it would be the Eighth Doctor, Liv and Helen. But um, this gives her so much to work with. It's it's the way her her she starts off quite aloof and professional as she goes through but as she then discovers more and more of her history and she gets she realizes that she has the chance to drop in on you know the major parts of it or the major turning points in it you can see her getting more and more invested in it and it almost feels near the end like philip has become her guide um yeah. that sequence where he encouraged her to go and visit essendon in the garden um, because she, when is she, when else is she going to get the chance? I really like that that aspect of it. it. It did give her far more to chew on than Doctor Who ever has, and you know I I agree with you. I'd say the Eighth Doctor, Liv and Helen, probably is the best uh, combination of characters of regular characters from Big Finish. But yeah, it, this really did sort of give her something else to just get stuck into. Um, any other classics you would like to mention, either of you? Uh, the only other one is is um, it's it's probably I don't want to say the biggest, but it's it's maybe the best known of the stories they've adapted. It's the War of the Worlds, um, or as Big Finish called it, the Martian Invasion of Earth for for copyright reasons. Yes. Um, which is again, it's 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 fantastic. It is so well produced, and it has Richard Armitage. I could not believe 
when that was first announced that Big Finish had got Richard Armitage in. And I know he's now gone on to play Rassilon, which blows my mind even more. But that's a really, really good one for people to go for. Because, it's, again, it's the War of the Worlds. Everyone has heard of it, at least, and knows the basic idea behind it. Um, and if anyone is interested in getting into the Big Finish range, I would go for it. Or, and of course, I would say The Shape of Things to Come. You know, we've just talked about it. But that's a really good one for people to start with. I think that's actually a couple of very good suggestions. One that's very well known and one that's sort of lesser well known. Uh, both adapted full of uh, love and enthusiasm for the original but both uh, sort of approaching them in a rather unique way Um, the only other one I would like to mention, I'm not going to mention yet because it's the picture of Dorian Gray and we're (laughs) we're going to do Dorian afterwards Um, I have a question go ahead um are there any uh, books that you'd like to see brought into the range? Adaptations that Big Finish could do that they haven't done yet? Um, I would absolutely love to see them have a go at, and this probably isn't going to happen due to it all being tied into multi-billion pound franchises, but uh, J.R.R. Tolkien stuff, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, uh, the mm. BBC adaptation of Lord of the Rings from, I think it was the early 80s, uh, it, it's some of the best radio ever produced, and I'd actually love to see Big Finish take that on. I really think they come up with something truly spectacular and mould-breaking. Uh, what about you, Connor? Um, I'd actually quite like them to do a Jules Verne series in the same way they did the H.G. Wells one, so you could have... Um... Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in 80 Days, stuff like that I think is, is ripe for the taking and I'm really surprised they haven't done it yet. And in the same way that they did a series of Fourth Doctor stuff with Tom Baker and then did Treasure Island, I would love them to do Macbeth with Christopher Eccleston now that they've got him. Because they've done a few Shakespeare ones before, I don't think I've heard any of them. But again, they get some really impressive casts in for those, and it seems like a no-brainer to do Macbeth with Christopher Eccleston. Uh, uh, yeah, I wish you hadn't said that because now that's that's something I really, really want. <laughs> I've never really thought about it before, but now you've said it, it seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, they did uh, Hamlet and King Lear in the past, and both were very very excellent yeah okay we shall move on to the next section uh the next thing we wanted to discuss um was i say we wanted to discuss i think this is this is going to be a connor section um sherlock at big finish sherlock holmes yeah yeah it's it's probably the best known of of it feels like it should be part of the classics, at least from the beginning, because they've, they've adapted stuff like um, The Final Problem and The Empty House. They've done The Hound of the Baskervilles. But mainly they've they've sort of carved off their own little corner of the Holmes canon and, and done their own thing. Um, and for the most part, I think it works well. There was that original run of box sets they did, which started with The Ordeals of Sherlock Holmes, then went into The Judgment and then The Sacrifice of Sherlock Holmes, which... Um, I enjoyed when I was listening to them, but I don't think I really got what I wanted from Sherlock Holmes out of them. They they go they get a little bit strange near the end in a way that I don't really want to spoil. But the last set in particular gets a little a little bit ridiculous, maybe near the end. It's it's and it's not it's not terrible. It's not it's not bad. It's just not exactly what you want from Sherlock Holmes. It goes into the supernatural quite a lot and loses, I think, some of the detective mystery of it. What they've done more recently with the likes of the Master of Blackstone Grange and the Seamstress of Peckham Rye is much more what I wanted. They've they've cut away the supernatural element and they've gone back to a more grounded um uh, realistic take on Holmes, not not realistic in the sense, but it's a lot closer to Conan Doyle's original stories. Um, but they've they've brought in a few of their own characters. They've brought in um, Watson's 
uh, latest wife, um, Genevieve Dumont, and their own inspector. So they haven't got, they haven't used Lestrade as much. They've gone for Inspector Silas Fisher, who I, I he was introduced in the last set, and I, I really liked him. And I I, I'm, I think he's back in the next set, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, the, the last two sets have had an arc carrying between them. And I'm really interested to see how that ends because it has really worked so far. Um, in in Briggs and in Richard Earle, you have a really, really great classic, um, very faithful version of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Um, Watson in particular, I think, is, is the highlight of these sets because Richard Earle plays him so brilliantly and so close to the original that whenever I now go back and read the original Sherlock Holmes stuff, it's his voice that I hear reading them. Um, for for Doctor Who fans, we have a crossover in the form of All Consuming Fire, which is, it was one of the first ones that I ever went for simply because it was a Doctor Who meets Sherlock Holmes story, and it's it, it it's great. It's it's wonderful. I I I definitely count it among my favorites. Um, it's it's. I think they stay in the behind the scenes part of it. It's a, it's a Doctor Who by stealth because Holmes and Watson are the the two main stars of it, and the Doctor Ace and Benny sort of pop in and out. So it's a good one to go for for Doctor Who fans. You know, big Finnish fans who have come in through Doctor Who and want to branch out. That's a good one to start with for Holmes. And then I would definitely recommend doing the latest two sets, uh, Blackstone Grange and the Seamstress of Peckham Rye. Yeah, fantastic stuff. I've um I have heard All Consuming Fire uh quite a while ago now, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it and I know exactly what you mean by that sort of Doctor Who by stealth thing. Um it was definitely a it was a Sherlock Holmes story with a Doctor Who twist. It's I suppose the easiest way of looking at it was of course Holmes, not an actual historical figure, but it's almost like a celebrity historical that we got uh, during Russell T Davis first run. Uh, oh, that feels great to say, doesn't it? Russell T Davis first run. <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, sort of things like uh, the Unquiet Dead and Shakespeare Code and so on and so forth. Um, I think, yeah, there was certainly an element of that on it. It, it did feel like I was listening to Sherlock Holmes and that was one thing that I did notice while listening to it actually was it really did feel like listening to Sherlock Holmes even though I'd not actually heard anything else from the range before it's the first time I'd heard um sort of the big finish portrayal and yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it I was immediately invested and I still don't know why I've not actually gone and given it all a listen it's all there queued up on the app and at some point i imagine very soon after this conversation i will probably go and give big finish <laughs> fantastic it's an interesting one all consuming fire because um the book is written um from what i understand it's a, a home's pastiche so it's a dr watson detailing it in the same way he did um a study in scarlet for example uh, it's just this happens to be a story that detours into Doctor Who and the Lovecraftian mythos and some a lot more gonzo concepts than most of the other stories maybe had explored. It's sort of like a lost Sherlock Holmes adventure. Um, so yeah, it's a really novel way of uh, introducing the character to a wider universe um, by making them making Holmes quite or Holmes and Watson quite rigidly the protagonists and exploring the Doctor Who universe on monsters and demons that way and one thing I also really like about it and I'm very sorry I am going to drag out the C word you've been warned C word incoming canon um, it, 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 it kind of makes Sherlock Holmes Doctor Who canon and I quite like that even if it's just big finishes Sherlock Holmes or whatever, it kind of sort of brings it under that umbrella, which is um, something that we kind of get with uh, Dorian Gray as well. Um, that, that was a smooth transition, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, nice one, man. Effortless. Yeah, thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's something you also get with Dorian Gray. Big finishes Dorian first appeared in... Um, it was a Benice Summerfield, I think. That's right. Shades uh, of Grey. That's the one, yes. Which I've never heard. I've listened to all of Dorian Gray, but I've not listened to all of Benice Summerfield. Uh, therefore, I think the only Dorian at Big Finish at all that I've never heard is Shades of Grey. Um, but again, it's nice to sort of just have that very loose peripheral Doctor Who connection. Uh, that kind of comes with that. Um, and it still all feels as though everything I'm listening to is under this big umbrella. Um, no matter how loose that connection is, and I, I appreciate that various listeners' sort of mileage may vary on that one. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that if, if, if Benny met him, then he's he's in the Hooniverse. No, yeah, I'm happy to say that too. Um, especially in the case of Dorian Gray, is. um at Big Finish Day, they sort of let slip or quietly announced that he'll be facing a Warmaster, which is a really interesting concept. Um, for me, it's a crossover of two of my favourite ranges, um, and the idea of Derek Jacobi going up against uh, Dorian Gray is something quite exciting, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. And in fact, it was Connor. Connor was our uh, um, our man on the Absolutely. inside at Big Finish Day. And the the best thing was um, the message I got saying they filmed the Dorian Gray pilot live action. Brilliant. If anything from Big Finish, and I know I've already said this on the, the Derby Day episode, but if anything from Big Finish is going to be adapted for screen, it's got to be Dorian. It is just it's asking for it. It's, it's really clever, almost perfectly designed for that. You've got such an iconic, um, exciting protagonist and then narrative that's expansive and versatile as anything needed to be. Um, so uh, you've got stories ranging all over history, all over the world, introducing other characters that um, just spark with Dorian. Um yeah, like if it, that's going to have the sort of concept has legs for telly. I absolutely love how um, uh, sort of how this, I'm using the C word again, this big finish canon uh, kind of incorporates uh, the original book as a mm. book. Um, it's a story about Dorian Gray as opposed to a thing that happened to the character Dorian Gray as far as big finish are concerned. Um and I think it, it's such a unique and fantastic way of approaching the character, sort of, he was a friend of Oscar Wilde, therefore Oscar Wilde, Wilde wrote a story about him, um, which kind of, it lets you take the entire origin story with a pinch of salt, and you can do anything you want with the character, and if you want that little bit to sort of fit in, then yep, you can have it. If you don't want a certain bit to fit in, well, that was... That was embellishment on Wilde's part. <laughs> There's an excellent bit at the end of um, Fallen King of Britain, I think, the finale season one, where uh, Dorian's lover, um, yeah. Charlie is the name Dorian's using, so not the name of his um, friend in that episode, but he's uh, reciting Dorian Gray, the actual book, um, describing his perfect features including the blonde hair and you've got a lovely little moment where Dorian just sort of scoffs at that and then you've got the implication that in the uh, Big Finish universe Oscar Wilde was the one who made up Dorian's blonde hair as opposed to it being a change because they wanted to cast Alexander Valhos which is you know point you know fair enough Yeah, absolutely. So, um, before we kind of mentioned that we had particular favourites, that may be the best thing Big Finish has ever done. Um, what are your Dorian highlights? Okay, then? so a really solid one. So I have mentioned The Fallen King of Britain. It's a Joe Lidster script. I think it quite comfortably fits in his um, other work. He's He always takes some very human takes on there introducing uh, Long Lost Brother for Ace or uh, backstory from the master that sort of explains where he's coming from. This is the first story that after going throughout history, 
brought Dorian Gray into the present day. Um, and he is living in a London of bankers and cocaine and excess that we were that you know I, I live in greater london i commute into the city every day now it's a sort of thing that i recognize and that was a really a really well-earned conclusion uh, thematically of not paying off this epic storyline to um just dorian gray being an immortal of course he's going to live with us and get to know us and take drugs with us i suppose but yeah um there's a real there's an element of sort of falling victim to the present in there as well which i think actually kind of runs certainly through those first two series kind of runs all the way through there is that theme of he's very much a dorian of his day you know in the 60s he's he's a very 60s dorian he's in a band and he you know he's a proper rocker that kind of thing um and then you've got 80s dorian in what I would perhaps consider to be my favourite episode. Which one's that? Um, which of, is, course. of course. The heart, uh, the heart that lives alone. Uh, when mm. we first meet Tobias, um, I I really think that's something special. That there are so many twists and turns in that episode, and you wonder where the hell it's going, and then it just kind of it ends up being this amazingly deep and emotional character piece. Um, which listening to the first sort of five ten minutes of the episode, you don't really expect. There's a reason that um, a lot of what came later built upon the foundations of that episode. Um, the relationship with to- Tobias and Dorian, um, really compelling stuff. Yeah, and you know, amazing performance from uh, Hugh Skinner as as Tobias Toby as well. Absolutely. Um, that it, it, you know, two. It was two actors, absolutely perfect for the roles that they were playing. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. It it really did sort of become almost kind of the the foundations of where later series went. Um, the rest, everything, sort of after series two, kind of bounced off that one episode, really, in some way, shape, or form. Um. I also think that the third series of Confessions of Dorian Gray could well be the strongest individual big finish release ever. Maybe. I think that's the compelling case we made there. It's um, yeah, it's big finish trying to do a really sleek uh, weekly serial almost. Uh, we brought, brought Dorian back into London, present day. Um, still with the kind of anthology storytelling, that means you could have something completely different each week, but this time sort of linked by time. Um, we're all in the same sort of setting and uh, era, so you're not jumping about decades, just uh, different boroughs maybe, different parts of the country. Um, I'm doing a lot more sort of serialised storytelling. And I think it really benefited from that you know by that stage we'd had all of these snapshots of dorian's life across over 150 years um give or take and um to sort of uh spend a lot of time with him in in one place in one era uh, it, it did sort of add a whole new slant to what was going on and then they really kind of got to mess with his world a little bit as well. Though, you know, there were people sort of playing tricks on him and there were people... Well, there were plans, weren't there? Sort of absolutely. Around him. And uh, I absolutely loved the sort of the casting of an older Dorian. Mm. Uh, played absolutely brilliantly by... Um, oh, why has my brain just gone? Um, <laughs> is oh, it God. Toby Longworth? No, it was Bernard Holly. Bernard Holly, yeah, Axos. It was Axos. Bernard Holly, yes, Bernard Holly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to redo that bit and edit it out. Uh, and there was some really good casting uh, with Older Dorian as uh, played by uh, Bernard Holly. Um, and I, I quite oh, for like... Axos. 
I know, yes, Bernard Holly from the Claws of Axos. I'm going to have to leave that whole bit in now just so it makes sense, aren't I? <laughs> Fine. I trapped you, haven't I? Yes, you have. Well, I could do, do it, it again. No, I'm not like. doing it again. I'm not doing it I'm again. I'm not going to interrupt. We're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. It's fine. It's staying in. You can hear me forgetting who Bernard Holly was for a minute. Oh, poor Bernard Holly. Um, but yes, I I really really liked that sort of uh, the younger Dorian versus the well the the picture effectively the older Dorian the everything that he'd done over the years sort of coming back to haunt him. It's it's the perfect and most obvious thing arguably to do with the character but Big Finish did it so effectively Absolutely um, so it's your heart that lives alone your, the one you're putting forward as potentially Big Finish's best story or release you said the season 3 box set is probably the, the best you see it, it... I, I, ooh, it's hard to pick. It's really hard to pick because the quality is just so high. Um, the Heart That Lives Alone is an absolutely amazing half an hour, whereas that third series is, is it three hours long in total or four? It's its not far off that. Yeah, I think it's four. It's eight episodes and they're all about half an hour each, give or take, aren't they? So it's yeah. a sustained four hours of just absolutely perfect and to use a cliche 10 out of 10 stuff um to do it for half an hour is an achievement to do it for four hours across one long serialized story is something else so i'm torn between those two uh but i do think that perhaps the best box set big finish have ever put out could well be that third series of Dorian. You make a compelling case. Um, for me, the fifth season, the last lap of honour, was absolutely something sensational. Um, so we sort of build up to quite a strong cliffhanger at the end of the Spirits of Christmas. And I think people were kind of expecting a season three style continuation. Um by which I mean just sort of picking up and having lots of stories building upon it. Yeah. But really what we do there is only tell one real sequel to that cliffhanger um, and not quite resolve it, but address it. Um, and instead we have four hour stories uh, revisiting some important people in Dorian's life. And that includes Oscar Wilde, uh, Dorian's uh, lover in the trenches, uh, a young soldier, Dorothy Parker, and then they're all sort of coming together in the final episode, Ever After, which really turns everything on its head. And that is dark, but it's a very fitting conclusion to the story. It's, yeah, I, I was, um, I was sort of warned before I listened to it that it's not what you're going to expect it to be. It's, it's very strange and out there and, and divisive, but it's designed to be divisive. It's not meant to be this lovely, satisfactory ending where everything's wrapped up with a nice little bow. It's, like you say, it's very dark and it, it challenges the listener that has been with Dorian for such a long time and that's followed the character and been invested in all of these stories and characters and relationships that the series presents. And it kind of, uh, it sort of challenges you to sort of question whether it was real or not. It's deliberately very prickly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it, it's, I can understand how it can be looked at as an unsatisfying ending. Uh, I can also understand how it can be looked at as the best ending ever and mind-blowingly complex and intelligent. Um Personally, I sit somewhere in the middle. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad that we've got this sort of ball of weirdness that they gave us. But at the same time, half of me wishes that... Maybe not that it would have ended, but that it would have gone on. I'm not saying I wanted series 6, 7, 8, 9. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want series 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> but um, 
I wish it had maybe have ended in a place where it could have continued. Maybe things would have been different. Maybe there'd have been some kind of twist so Dorian's life would never be the same again. Well, perhaps just that possibility of continuation. The Lost Confessions. I've not. Well, that's, so I didn't um, lie earlier when I said that the only Dorian I hadn't heard was uh, Shades of Grey. I've not heard Lost Confessions. Well, let's bring bring back out the C word because uh, Lost Confessions sort of tread a very um, thin line between quite being canon and possibly not. So rather, so they're all audiobooks narrated by uh, Alexander Valhoss. Um, but whereas um, the confessions were all told from Dorian's perspective, here we step back and we have a third-person narrator, and that sort of changes the dynamic slightly, and it allows you to sort of take these stories. If you want Ever After to be your conclusion, then that is still there. But the last confession, that's something else entirely, and that kind of really changes the way you sort of look at everything that's come before. Okay. So I think you owe it to yourself to check that one out. I think you might be right. So Big Finish, if you're listening, amazing Big Finish people, give us a Dorian sale and I promise I'll pick it up. (laughs) How about you, Connor? Have you convinced you to check out the series yet? It it has been on my list for a really long time, and again, it's one that I'm waiting for just for a sale to come along. Um, I think I was tempted the last time. I think it came up in like a weekly a weekly deal back in the first part of lockdown, and I I, I nearly made the jump then and just and just didn't. So it's definitely one I want to get around to someday. Um, the only I, I have heard a little bit before in the worlds of Big Finish. Um, mm. And that definitely that that made me really keen to get into the whole series. So I, w- I, I will make the jump just as soon as as soon as it becomes, uh, or as soon as it turns up in a deal somewhere. And in the meantime, we can all get excited for the anniversary special, right? Coming out in October. I do have the vinyl pre-ordered. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic! It's it's a nice bonus. I'm always a big fan of. Um, when the right story arises, just revisiting these characters and uh, not just for Dorian Gray, but any sort of franchise or saga. It's just nice to see how these characters are doing. Um, this one isn't a continuation. I think they talk about uh, the first anniversary of the couple. Uh, we won't say anything much else, um, but it's set in 1987, uh, going by the description. So it's a nice story set within our pre-established timeline. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm really glad that they have decided to sort of go back and revisit Dorian. Um, I think Big Finish know that there's they were on to something very, very special there, sort of a very unique and different series. Um, and I think that's why it's being selected for you know, filming as a live-action pilot and why it's getting this special uh, 10th anniversary. I mean, they're even digging out the vinyl for it. Big mm-hmm. finish. Don't dig out the vinyl very often. Um, and I'm always very, very happy when they do because it's quite nice to have a little Doctor Who shelf mm-hmm. uh, alongside the far too many hundreds of albums that I have. Um. So yeah, well, I'm glad we've uh, sort of convinced Connor to what, uh, sorry, listen to a bit of Dorian. Um, hopefully, that sale will come along soon. I I will actually watch Dorian when it, when it comes out on on TV as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be straight onto that as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's it is a fantastic bit of big finish. And what we will do is when you have listened to all of Dorian Connor, we will come back to it oh, on yes. an episode of this podcast and we will get your sort of views on it. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm always interested to sort of talk to people about it. It's it's a series that does promote discussion. It's a series that does... It, it asks questions that it doesn't necessarily answer. There is a lot there to interpret and discuss and debate. 
Um, and I think we've sort of barely scratched the surface, really, have we, Tom? There's so much more. Yeah. So um, we will probably have to leave it there. This has been a far longer episode than I expected, but that is because non-Doctor Who Big Finish is so brilliant. Uh, we've only touched on sort of various little bits of it. You know, when you think about it, we haven't talked about um, half of the classics still. There's still loads we haven't touched. We haven't talked about Big Finish originals, um, so we'll come back and talk about that at some point. And all the other stuff that's going on in Big Finish land. Uh, Blake 7. I love Blake 7. And we've not talked about Blake 7. But again, it deserves its own episode. Uh, so, just very quickly, I'm going to uh, sort of include what is... I, I think it's fair to call it a, a regular section of the podcast now. I think it's established enough. Uh, and it's, what else have we been listening to? So... Just sort of very briefly tell us about what Big Finish or perhaps other audio drama you've been listening to over the last few weeks that we've not mentioned yet. Uh, I'll go with you first, Connor. Um, well, I think the last time I was on, I said I was listening to um, The Sex Doctor and Charlie Arc, and I'm just about, I'm, I'm, I'm one episode away from finishing that now. Um, and it's been good. I, I do have a few reservations about it, but um, it's maybe something to discuss in future if we ever come around to that. Um, I'm also currently listening to Terror of the Sontarans with Sylvester McCoy and Bonnie Langford, which is, I think it was one of the first big finishes I ever bought uh, in the dim and distant past of 2015, 2016. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've always liked it. It's 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 not ever going to be one of the classics but it is a really enjoyable listen there's a bit of a thriller psychological vibe to it that i quite like and it has dan starkey doing his brilliant thing as the Sontarans, which is always great absolutely so, yeah um what about you tom what else have you been listening to in the last few weeks i've been listening to doctor who redacted which i've been eagerly awaiting every week um last sunday's episode um, sort of got a bit delayed because we had some quite exciting news. Um, that'll be a few weeks back now when the uh, episode comes out. But I will be quite excited to check that out. It's some very fresh storytelling. We've got some really new, distinct characters with uh, very unique sort of worldviews for the uh, wider universe. And I can't wait to see where the story goes. I, I love it how everybody sort of answers that section at some point with Redacted. Yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, as soon as the whole thing is out there, we will do a Redacted episode and we will talk about it properly. Unfortunately, but, yeah. no one will be able to hear it because it's been Redacted. Oh. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, so we shall leave it there. That is another episode done. Um, thank you very much, Connor. Thank you for having me on again. And thank you, Tom. It's been great talking to you. Um, I'm looking forward to having you both back on in hopefully not the not-too-distant future. But in the meantime, uh, goodbye from us. <laughs> Take care. Cheerio. Cheerio.